Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Follow me here. Forget just a second tonight, if you will. Forget about what networks want. Forget about what commissioners want. Forget about what I want. Forget about mom and dad. Not often, but just this moment. Even forget about what they want. What do you want this season? What would make a perfect college football season? You can go anywhere you want to with this. Steve Wiltfong's got his own crystal ball for different reasons. You rub your crystal ball. You can just predict anything you want to, but you can also imagine anything you want to. It's the sort of thing we like to do in the month of July around here. We like to let our imaginations soar. It is, by the way, Thursday night, July 6th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Hey, we're getting pretty close, man. We're, we're like under 70 days till kickoff, but we got so much to sort out. First thing I have to do is mute my laptop. The second thing I have to do is I have to tell you, I want perfection this fall. Not for me. For you, I want perfection. And I asked you guys earlier today, what would constitute a perfect season? Some of you love favorites. You just love the the heavyweight fights. Some of you love chaos. You love the car wreck, figuratively speaking, of course. We got a healthy mixture of all of it tonight. We're jam-packed, high atop a picturesque, after a thunderstorm, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, I got something else to tell you, too. There's a head coach out there that you all used to despise, and now apparently you've just flip-flopped on, and you love... And I didn't really realize how much you consensus love this guy until today. And his name is Lane Kiffin. And we will discuss him tonight, how he's gone about remaking his image. What ifs? They're in the show. Bold predictions. They're in the show. Recruiting. Just shows on fire. Uh, July 4th is independence and it is recruiting. And those two are synonymous now in, into the extended future in college football. So we got a jam-packed show. I'm happy to be back in Nashville. Happy to have you with us. Look at that. No firework burns on the fingers, Colin. So that's one prop bet most of you lost. They're watching us in Tampa, Florida, Clinton, Arkansas, uh, Mobile, Alabama, Pacific Palisades, California. I think management had like a third home out there at one point. Uh, I do need to ask you one question before we dive into the show. So the Pate State store is coming back. Totally reimagined, totally revamped. It's going to be wonderful. You won't quite be able to buy a Floyd of, um, I almost called him a Floyd of Supremacy, a Floyd of Rosedale there, but you can buy pretty much anything else. Uh, But that's where I need you to come in. So you guys have been sending me these requests a lot. I need to just gather them in one nice, neat little bunch. What specifically do you want sold in the Pate State store when we open that thing up? This could be product or it could be like specific designs you want on t-shirts, whatever you want. If enough of you request it, I'm throwing it in that store because I think you're a whole lot better at deciding that than me. We already got plenty of things we're going to roll with. I just want to know if there's anything we've overlooked. 
And uh, lastly, on the Late Kick Extra Pod Tuesday, I said I was going to ask you something, then promptly forgot it. If you fancy yourself a high-level graphic designer, I don't mean a beginner. God bless you if you are. But if you're, if you're more advanced, if you're more high-level, and, and you've hit me up before, you've DM'd me or emailed me about maybe working alongside the show, hit me back. I need you to be really good at it, but hit me back. I have a project that I need someone to carry out for me. And producer Jesse's really busy right now, and he sucks at design anyway. All right, let's dive into the show. Um, perfection. How do we get a perfect college football season? I was thinking about this on my long, arduous drive from Columbus, Georgia, back to Nashville, Tennessee last night, and I was asking myself, what do I think a perfect season is? Some people go back to 2007, and they think that's the perfect season, where everyone's got like two losses, and we've got South Florida randomly in the top five. The number two team loses seven of the last nine weeks of the regular season. A lot of you like that. It turns out a lot of you like chaos. And I asked you guys earlier today on Twitter, I said, hey, what, what would make the perfect season for you? I think this is a really fun exercise. Early season upsets, I think, are always pivotal. If we're going to have a perfect season this fall, if we're going to have 2023 start molding itself into a perfect season, early season upsets are so important for one obvious reason. They just blow the sport up. They take those preview magazines and you might as well chuck them in the fireplace, even though it's still 70 degrees outside. That's how early in the season it is. And it's memorable. I mean, everyone knows where they were, if you were of age, when you saw App State take down Michigan. Yeah, that speaks for itself, though. And it's, it's memorable, and everyone, everyone has it burned in their mind forever. However, if it happens early in the season, you get all the pluses of the upset, but the team that got upset's not out of it. So you could have Duke beat Clemson to start the year. It's a scenario we may actually entertain later in the show, mind you. So Duke celebrates, and all 37 people at the game there in Durham, they run on the field. They have to run over a track to get on the field because Duke has a track around their field. I, I, I bash because I care, guys. But Clemson gets to lick their wounds, go back in the locker room and say, okay, well, uh, net result is we got one loss. We've got 11 games to go. We got FSU coming in in three weeks. We got to get right. We have zero margin for error, but we're still alive. That's great. Like no one's done in week one. And yet you could have just chaos all over the place. So early season upsets, I think that's important. You've got the chaos B scenario, which is you have no elite teams out there. And that just means a year like 07, where there's stuff happening every single week. But then you also could have the chaos A scenario. And we've seen this one a time or two, where you do have some elite teams emerge and they sort of distance themselves from the pack. And they just look back at the rest of the field behind them in their dust and there's a bunch of chaos behind them, but we all know, yeah, there's chaos in the regular season, but we're going to get to the finish line, and we know who's going to be on that field in January, uh, I think in Houston this year. We know who's going to be on that field in Houston in January. So if you want chaos, I say you ascribe to chaos B scenario. And if you didn't know what that was before tonight, that's the one where you don't really have teams that fully separate themselves from the pack. I think that makes for the most entertaining season because it keeps everyone guessing. Clear contenders emerging in each conference is vital to have the perfect college football season. We cannot just have good teams in the Big Ten and the SEC. You got to have a Florida State follow through on that preseason promise or a Clemson, maybe a Miami or North Carolina breakthrough. Feel free to join the party again. Anybody in the state of Virginia. But you also got to go out west. And aside from just having really good quarterback play, you got to have one of those teams figured out defensively. And you got to have them come out of their unscathed instead of going into the Pac-12 championship game with 
a bunch of losses because everyone's beating each other up. So Oregon, do it. Or Michael Penix in Washington, do it. Hey, maybe Southern Cal holds people under 30 points per game for once in Lincoln Riley's career. Do it. I don't care who it is. Just do it. Get me some room from the West Coast. And then in the Big 12, it can be Texas. It doesn't really matter. Because even though Texas is favored every year, they've yet to actually follow through on any of that promise. So it could be Texas. It could be OU. Maybe it's TCU again. Maybe it's K-State. Maybe it's Texas Tech. Don't really care who it is. I just need viable contenders from every conference. And then, if you really want to go from 9.5 to 10 on the perfection scale, have Notre Dame in there, and then get me like a Cincinnati-level G5 team. Since he's not in the G5 anymore, but you remember a couple of years ago, they were good enough where even I, Mr. Anti-G5, when it comes to the playoff, Mr. Never Let One of Them In, had to bend and say, I think Cincinnati belongs in the playoff. So if you get a solid, like Tulane, for example, if you get a solid G5 tier candidate that looks like they could go against the big boys and Tulane welcomes Ole Miss in early in the season down in New Orleans. So we'll see what they look like. That would be good. I would love, I'd love nothing more than for us to enter November with all the conference championship pictures still totally up for grabs. You got like a four or five way sprint to the finish for the Heisman Trophy race, multiple positions. We got a defensive player like Dallas Turner at Alabama is all of a sudden in it. Uh, we, got, we got maybe an LSU defender. Maybe Harold Perkins down there is in it. We've got that going on. And also, because all of that's muddy, the college football playoff picture is muddy, which also leads me to another point of perfection I would love baked into any kind of season that's ideal for me. And that is no one's talking about the playoff until we get to November. What a day that would be. Well, you don't have to imagine it, kids. It used to happen all the time. And it could, it could be that way again in our perfect world, of course. Um, you know, I was thinking about something else, though. Maybe your mind doesn't go here. Some of you don't care about this. Some of you do care about it, but you feel the opposite that I do. Sometimes you got to get lucky with weather. To have the perfect season, and if you grew up in the South, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you don't get that first like blast-type cold front until early October. And you just swelter in September. But there are seasons where maybe climatologically things shift. You want to talk about Pacific and Atlantic oscillation patterns on the show tonight? We can do that. Nope, losing viewers already. Okay, well, what I'm saying is sometimes that early season cold front comes through. And you get like dew points in the upper 50s. It's not supposed to happen that early in the year. But if we can get that, you know, imagine Texas comes into Alabama in week two in Tuscaloosa, and instead of like 92 degrees with 71% humidity or 71% dew points at uh, kickoff, maybe it's 79 degrees with, with 58 degree dew points at kickoff. And it's just crisp, and it's the real autumn feel as much as you can feel like autumn in the South in September. Um, doesn't have to be perfect weather every week. I would love to get a couple of snowy games in the Big Ten. If you gave me one hurricane-ish game per year. Not asking too much. Just a little NC State Notre Dame action from a few years ago. Sideways rain. Just for the thrill of it. I hate if my team has to play in it, but just for the novelty aspect of seeing players play in like a, a pond with grass at the bottom of it, that's a little fun for me. But really, it all circles back to what I just said a second ago. What does November mean? That's any kind of perfect college football season to me. What does November mean? Um, have we been able to dodge the fall wedding landmine? 
are we looking at a bunch of games played on grass? This is out of our control. Uh, that's just a personal thing with me. Hate the field turf. Cannot stand it. Uh, big noon kickoff. Have we learned to embrace it? Do we understand that God's light is the best light for some of these games? They don't all have to kick off at 8 p.m. It's okay. It's okay to embrace a noon kickoff every now and then. I know at Penn State, you guys are mad that Fox strips away some of your whiteout possibilities. I get it. Look at me. I get it all too well. But by and large, just overarching for the entire sport, big noon kickoff, not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> some of our friends' replies were golden. Todd Furman hit us up and said, my perfect college football season includes me winning 96% of my bets. The other 4% are losers. Just you got to account for the inevitable bad beat. Think about this is a real man right here. This is someone who who is who is broken a spirit a time or two betting this sport. In his perfect world, he doesn't even hit 100%. He's got to have those bad beats just so he can feel alive. That's a real one. Uh, Gil Kidd said, an electric Heisman race. All Power 5 conferences have three or four teams in the mix in November. So we go back to the November theme. An all-time classic game at some point in the season, like Tennessee-Bama or Ohio State-Michigan last year or two years ago. Uh, this one right here, I think, was one of the best replies. For a singular season, we need chaos across the entire sport. That's what made 07 so much fun. Anything could and did happen every single Saturday. It felt like the college football gods were laughing at the rankings. That right there, I know we go back to 07 a lot. That perfectly encapsulates 07. People were so shell-shocked. Not Saturday night. They woke up on Saturday morning just mortified, terrified at what could happen because there was no convention. Nothing made sense. Your rankings didn't matter. Point spreads didn't matter. We had three touchdown dogs winning outright week after week after week. I gave you the stat a little while ago. I didn't make that stat up, by the way. I think it was seven of the last nine weeks of the regular season, the number two team lost. There was some crazy stat about how often unranked teams beat top five teams. Wild. And so a lot of you love that and some people say that couldn't happen again. I don't look, they say Vesuvius couldn't erupt like it did once upon a time again. Now, once upon a Saturday, anything could happen. What about Gresham? He said regionality comes back into the sport. That would be perfect for me. It solves the whole fake rivalry problem that I saw in the comments. He's so right about that. It's this is obviously not something we can snap our fingers and get. Our buddy, enemy to some, but friend to us, Big Game Boomer put out a list on Twitter the other day about how he would love to just realign the sport and how he would bring different conferences back. Like anytime you talk about bringing the Southwest Conference back, I'm all ears. And he put that out. And so he, he, like, he had Tulane and Georgia Tech back in the SEC. He had Arkansas, for example, back in the Southwest Conference along with Texas. And it was such a beautiful thing. What was beautiful about it, even though some of you disagreed, was it took us back to an era of civility and regionality. Some that watched the Southwest Conference would argue about the civility portion of it. Maybe civil, war, but not civility. But the regionality, that stands. It's what college football is supposed to be about. I, I, know, I know some look forward to watching Rutgers play a conference game in the Rose Bowl. I'm just not necessarily one of them, but that is what it is. A couple of more here. This is uh, probably the most common refrain. It's just worded so perfectly here. C.F. Budge. What a name. At birth, given, no doubt. 
you got to have the following things, he says, to make a perfect season. You got to have a big bad guy like Georgia. You got to have a feel good story like Kansas last year. You've got to have a legit rising contender that's fun, i.e., Texas. You got to have some absolute chaos that makes you question everything, TCU. So a lot of that existed last year. You just kind of got to have Texas turn it up a notch, but a lot of that existed last year. Uh, Maybe Patrick says either a playoff filled with titanic, dynastic programs or complete chaos. Nothing in between. And then there's this classy response from Alex. I really think he's serious. I would give one of my kidneys if I could see USC beat Oklahoma in the playoff on their way to the national championship. Caleb wins another Heisman. Can you imagine that? Do you imagine if we get to the end of the line and it really is USC and Lincoln Riley versus Oklahoma in a postseason setting? We don't sell these games on pay-per-view. You could sell that one on pay-per-view. You could build that one. That would be like a Dana White special. That would almost be like a Vince McMahon special. We don't get that very often in college football. Moving right along. Very, very fun exercise, I think. We, we kind of stimulated the mind tonight. That's what we like to do to start the show. Computer went to sleep, so I need to crank it back up just a second here, just a second. And we're back. I appreciate you guys watching. You know, there are some rumors around the office, unconfirmed, but rumors, that we may be incentivizing live viewership in the coming weeks. What does that mean? I don't know. It's unconfirmed. We'll see. We'll see what the powers that be around here mean. I don't know. I just do the show. What happens behind the curtain? I don't know what they're doing in there right now. I never know what they're doing in there. What do you think about Lane Kiffin? I asked you this earlier today. What is your opinion of Lane Kiffin? We've done this with a few head coaches. I figured it was Lane Kiffin's turn in the court of public opinion. I had one of the most unexpected realizations of my college football life today, and that is July 6th, 2023, the college football public not only doesn't despise Lane Kiffin anymore, you guys have totally flipped. You like him now, not just in Oxford, Mississippi, not just at his dinner table in his home at Thanksgiving, not just those closest to him. No, a large chunk, a majority chunk, believe it or not, of the college football public likes Lane Kiffin. His approval rating is probably higher than anyone who's about to run for the election. How did this happen? In what world did this ever happen? Now, I do need to fill you in on how I feel about him. I never switched over to the, ooh, I hate Lane Kiffin portion of that, you know, that pie chart that represents the college football public. Now, I've explained to you many times before, I don't get too worked up about these sorts of things. So what bothers many of you oftentimes doesn't bother me. However, as you have accurately pointed out to me, what bothers me sometimes doesn't matter to any of you. And so half of the time it's you telling me to calm down. But with Lane Kiffin, interesting times we're in right now. He has quietly won 18 games the past two years over there at Ole Miss. That's the kind of stuff Hugh Freeze did once upon a time, but very hard to do historically over there. They have been portaling extremely well. And unlike some other programs that have portaled well, Ole Miss is not exactly a tier one major league recruiting power. So they've had to do it out of necessity and they've had to get pretty creative. I'll tell you what else they've done that you're not going to probably read as much about. They've really been at the forefront of NIL. 
And that doesn't mean just paying players the most money. That means being very smart with your money that you do have because it's not endless. The resources are not endless, even with major college football programs. Uh, he has three of the five best total yardage seasons ever at Ole Miss. I know some of you laugh at the total yardage statistic. I'm not suggesting it's the end-all, be-all. I'm just saying it's a decent metric that lets me know you've been doing big things offensively. How about that? And so Lane Kiffin's done a lot of good things over there, but there are a lot of coaches out there who win and are hated. So it doesn't matter that he's won more than you're supposed to win at Ole Miss. You can be hated and win. How in the world did Lane Kiffin go from being public enemy number one in college football circles to all of a sudden being liked by a majority of the fans of this sport, even ones who were agnostic to Ole Miss? There was a wild theory floated around the office today. And at first I dismissed it, but then it started to grow on me. What if, and just humor me now, just hear me out, what if Lane Kiffin did not make a face turn at all? What if society just turned heel and gravitated towards Lane Kiffin? Paper pop. Minds are blown. For those of you who don't watch pro wrestling, face turn just means becoming a good guy. It looks like on the surface, Lane Kiffin became a good guy. How else do you explain a guy that used to not be liked all of a sudden becoming liked? Well... It seems like there's only one explanation. Lane Kiffin went good, but there's another explanation. And this was a theory that was bouncing around the, uh, the meeting table today when we were putting the show together, and that is, what if society just kind of went heel? What a theory that is. I don't know how I feel about it. It's only been a few hours since it was presented to me, but it's not the craziest thing in the world. Maybe some things you used to just not like, you all of a sudden like. It's not quite as serious as I'm making it sound, mind you. So, you know, if, if Kiffin's family's listening, no, it's not that big a deal. He's okay. But society turning heel. Huh. Well, let's, let's nail this down a little bit. What does that actually mean? What do you remember about him? There are a lot of people listening right now. There's some people watching right now. Maybe you're even watching live. What do you think about when I mention Lane Kiffin? And a lot of you who maybe are in the boat I'm talking about, you don't mind him. Maybe you're apathetic towards him. Maybe you even like him now, but you remember a time where you did not like him. What didn't you like about him and what changed? You have to answer that for me in the comment section. I'm not going to be able to answer that for you, but I have found when I do this little test case study on people and I ask him, what do you remember? Like what comes to your mind when you think about Lane Kiffin? They think about either rumors off the field or scoring a ton of points or clipboard thrown up in the air, or 5-15, and 15, I think, was the record in the NFL, or attempting a half-a-mile-long field goal. These sorts of things come up. My mind goes back a little bit further. When you mention Lane Kiffin to me, my mind goes to 2009. My mind goes to him being hired as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee. And I'll never forget how crazy it was. Kiffin comes in, and he does two things. He quickly realizes who's about to be running the conference for the next decade to two decades. And it wasn't the guy running the conference at that present moment. The guy running the conference at that moment was Urban Meyer. The guy Kiffin looked at as the future was Nick Saban. And so even though Kiffin got hired at Alabama's rival, Kiffin starts praising Saban every chance he can get, and he starts going scorched earth on Urban Meyer. 
and calling the guy out, it kind of felt personal. It was almost like you asked, man, what does Lane Kiffin know about Urban Meyer that the rest of us don't know? What's being said about Urban Meyer? What's known about him behind the scenes? Anyway, so I'll let history judge that for itself. Both sides of that equation, by the way, the Saban and Urban Meyer portion of the equation. But I remember that. I remember Bama and Florida are about to play in the SEC championship game. ESPN brings Kiffin to Atlanta to be the guest picker, I think, on college game day. I'm in a hotel room. I'm in the Omni Hotel. I'm looking down over Olympic Centennial Park where they're actually having that show live. But I'm also watching it on my TV here. And I remember even then. Kiffin is talking about how much better a coach Saban is. The better coached team is going to win today. And that's Alabama. And by the way, they did. And by the way, they were. I remember that. And that's what made it crazy all those years later when he goes off and the USC thing happens, the NFL things happened, and he comes back and he gets a shot at Alabama. That's where it started. That's where the image rehabilitation started. And it wasn't without a bumpy road over there. No one would suggest otherwise. I think what people see with Lane Kiffin is that he grew up, but he didn't get old. You know how hard that is? Immunity. You know how hard that is to do? To grow up, but not get old in the process? A lot of folks grow up. They also get old as they're doing it. Don't get old, kids. Grow up, but don't get old. Stay young. Keep your wheels in motion. Those are the words of the great Don Williams. Look him up. He's already passed. Great songwriter, great singer unmistakable voice. And uh, those are lyrics of one of his songs, accurately titled Stay Young. That's what Lane Kiffin's kind of done. So he has the double appeal now about himself. He's got that appeal of a dude who's, who's corrected himself. He's got his wagon back up on the path, but, but he can still hang with you in a conversation if you're 22 years old and not skip a beat. So he feels like he straddles both sides of that fence. And as I said, he's not doing it as this little feel-good story. They're winning. He's put together a really good program over there. And the other most common piece of feedback I got when I asked today, what do you think about Lane Kiffin was, I think he wants to be the next head coach at Alabama. And friends, when you say that about Lane Kiffin, when you say that you think he wants to be the next head coach at Alabama, I have this to say. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Academy Sports and Outdoors is our partner. Academy Sports and Outdoors is spreading like wildfire. Not just word of Academy. No, 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 no. Word spreads every week on this show. But sometimes if you live in, let's just say Peoria, Illinois, 
you hit me up and you say, Josh, I'd love to go to Academy Sports and Outdoors, but I can't because we don't have one. Well, I love you guys in Peoria, in Bloomington, that area up there. But starting tomorrow, if you tell me that, I'm going to call you a liar because we have a major announcement tonight. As of tomorrow, that is July 7th, the year of our Lord, 2023, we got a brand new academy opening in Peoria and Bloomington, Illinois. You know the drill, chalai of supremacy, possibly on the line here. If you show me documented evidence that you went to that academy grand opening all weekend, I'll accept submissions until Sunday. Prizes are on the line. And we are spread... Indiana, we had Lafayette, Indiana open up recently. Uh, Peoria, Bloomington, got several more. I have a chart in my possession right now. Insider information. I'm very dangerous with this. And I know all the future Academy Sports and Outdoors locations. Believe me, it is, it is lengthy. That list is lengthy. And so um, if you don't have one now, just hold off. Hit up academy.com in the meantime, but hold off for a little while because it could be coming your way pretty soon. Outdoor sporting goods equipment. Grills, canopies, tents, chairs, buckets. Who, whomst amongst us doesn't have a use for a good padded seat bucket? I'll also call you a liar if you say you don't have need for that. I think our buddies are going to be in town for the SEC Media Days event in a few weeks, so it'll be nice to rekindle friendships with them. Academy Sports and Outdoors, hit them up. They make this show free of charge to you. They've got our back, and they always have. Hit them up. Academy.com if you can't get there in person. Sip from the chalice at 27 minutes into the show. Kind of trying to keep tabs on that. You don't want to overdo it. You know, the, the, the chalice of choice liquid over here, you can't abuse it. Been watching Daisy Jones and the Six. A lot of substance abuse in that show. I still highly recommend it. Show of the year candidate. Show of the soundtrack of the year. Show of the year. I had uh, probably two or three dozen of you hit me up and say, I watched the show you talked about, and I didn't have a single one of you said it underdelivered. Everyone said it met the expectation or it overdelivered. Great show. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about some good old-fashioned what-ifs this fall. It's a really fun game. No one's right. No one's wrong, necessarily. These aren't predictions. They're just what-ifs. Like, for instance, what if someone not named Georgia or Tennessee wins the SEC East? Would that be a bold prediction? Of course it would, but that's not that portion of the show. This is just a what if. Well, let's take a quick look at the board. Georgia's an overwhelming favorite to win the East. They're minus 600. Tennessee's next, distantly second at plus 500. But uh, if you're listening on podcast, go ahead and handicap the rest of the SEC East for me. Who would be the next favorite? South Carolina at plus 1,800. That is the shark fin. In the SEC East, the South Carolina Gamecocks just strap a little plastic fin on them. There they are. Now, what would they have to do to actually make this happen? Well, they'd have to navigate a very treacherous schedule. And uh, that includes a trip to Georgia in week three. They go to Tennessee two weeks later. Oh, by the way, they just have Mississippi State sandwiched in between those. They also have to go to A&M, uh, yeah, A&M later in the year, and they got Clemson at home, but that's out of conference. I looked at the Missouri schedule as I did earlier this year, and I thought to myself, maybe that's the team if craziness were to happen. Okay, so if we're going to entertain this, understand we're already in a world where Georgia and Tennessee somehow missed out on Atlanta. So obviously crazy things have happened in this what if. 
If it's Missouri, here's how it would have happened. The close losses last year turn into wins. Obviously, that happens with everyone. That almost gets old saying this time of year. But Missouri gets Georgia after Georgia plays Florida. Missouri also plays Tennessee the week before Tennessee plays Georgia. That's the good news. The bad news is Missouri gets Georgia and Tennessee and Florida back-to-back, and then they go to Arkansas to end the year. Oh, Jesse, did you see that? Look at that November. That's not a November to remember for Missouri. At Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, at Arkansas. Yet again, the more casual-minded amongst us are hating on a team like Missouri for only playing eight conference games. Yeah, uh, which eight are you playing is what I want to know. Gross. So I don't really know who. I think I'd still roll with South Carolina, honestly. Like if South Carolina, just picture this. South Carolina finds a way to randomly clip Georgia in week three. Crazy? Yes. Could it happen? For the sake of argument, maybe. And Georgia also loses to Tennessee on the road and maybe like Auburn gets them. I don't know. It's very unlikely, but that's probably what would have to happen. Uh, Next up. Now, this one's a little more likely, but this one would just be utter chaos. Cedric just wanted to throw everything in the ACC into a blender today, and he did a fine job of it. He said, you've mentioned a couple of times the last couple of shows, so let's play the scenario out. What if Duke actually does beat Clemson in week one? Clemson, Clemson. I'm trying, guys. I really promise you I am. It's just tough for me. It's a very special kind of speech impediment. I can't say Clemson right. And it sucks. But I was born this way. It is what it is. So what would happen? Well, first off, Duke is only about a 12-point underdog in this game. So it's well within the realm of possibility. You know, Cole Kubelik hasn't texted me the show yet. I wonder if he's okay. So Duke's only a 12-point underdog in the game. It's in Durham, so it's at home. More important fact is it's not at Clemson. That's the important part for them. It's Monday night. This is Labor Day night. So it's standalone. You don't have to flip through 37 other games. This will be on display in front of God and everyone. Whole world's watching it. I legitimately think this would throw the entire sport into early season chaos. I think this would be the early season crowbar to the knees that, quite frankly, this sport needs that time of year. Now, it's not that we root for it. You don't have to. The stuff happens anyway. You just don't know where it's going to occur. Number one, if, if Duke beats Clemson, number one, Mike Elko instantly becomes the hottest name in the head coaching market. I know that's not what they want to hear at Duke, but man, after he went 9-4 and four last year and all the losses were by one possession at Duke, and then you follow that up with a win over the preseason favorite in week one? Yeah, man, your name's everywhere. People are actively firing their head coaches early in the fall to be at the front of the line to hopefully acquire your services come coaching carousel season. That's what would happen with Mike Elko. And he's got some good ones on his staff too. That is a very, very slept on staff for obvious reasons that shouldn't be slept on because if this happens, that would be also for obvious reasons. Number two, and this is on the Tiger side of things, Clemson would just delve into full panic mode. Fan base would be in full panic mode because everything you told yourself about the reset button up there, you would forget that. Everything you told yourself about Garrett Riley coming in, he's going to save the offense, you would forget that. And everything you told yourself about the program being back on track, you'd forget all that. You shouldn't, because week one losses aren't the end of the world. But you and I both know what it would actually be like. I would probably end up buying a ton of Clemson stock as it was scattered all over the place if this were to happen. 
So it's a big if, but not the biggest if in the world. Next up, we go all the way to the West Coast. I'm just going to, I'm going to responsibly apply some chapstick here right on air. Ignore what I said if you're listening on podcast. Lance said, what if the true freshman quarterback, Dante Moore, leads UCLA to the Pac-12 title? Level with me. It's just you and I here. You don't think this is possible, do you? Jesse and Colin, no? Slight shakes of the head in there. I, I don't think most people believe this is possible. So, Dante Moore, true freshman quarterback, he was committed to Oregon, I believe, and then flipped to UCLA. It was a really, really big get. It's, one of, it's part of my theory that the sport is coming to Chip Kelly right now because of what you can do in NIL and also what you can do in the portal. You don't necessarily have to just out-recruit people. You can t- pick your shots. You can pick your, your battles in NIL, and he did, and that's one of them, and he got himself a quarterback. But that's one thing. What if they all of a sudden win it this year? This year, he's a true freshman. All eyes are supposed to be on L.A. this year, but they're supposed to be down the road in Los Angeles, not in, not in Pasadena where they play. They're supposed to be down the road. Caleb Williams, returning Heisman Trophy winner, that's what you're supposed to be talking about. Dude, this would be like the Clippers snatching it away from the Lakers out there. That concludes our NBA coverage for the night. If we were to see Dante Moore, true freshman, step in, and they win the Pac-12, what a story that would be. They may be going to the playoff if that were to happen. Number two, Chip Kelly has his quarterback for sure. Number three, UCLA is all of a sudden entering Big Ten play with a premier quarterback. Chip Kelly's name is like right back out there in the forefront of the, uh, I wouldn't say A tier quite yet, but at the very least, he would be placed in all the B tier coaching categories. I think Chip Kelly's a phenomenal coach. It's just that you're never going to get Georgia results at UCLA consistently. I think even he knows that. Or does he? Because if this were to happen, we'd have to hit the reset button on expectations. We are definitely, if this happens, looking at a chaotic season in the Pac-12. Because there's one path where, hey, UCLA just goes undefeated and they win it. That's not the most likely path, even with this prediction. The most likely path is there was carnage out there. No one escaped unscathed or even relatively unscathed. And it was just UCLA that emerged from the rubble at the end of the year. I still have a lot of fun entertaining it because they are not way down the odds board. Colin, could you throw that back up? As a matter of fact, I actually meant to read that when you had it up. So the odds to win the Pac-12 right now, yes, it's the usual suspects at the top, but you should ask yourself, where is the cutoff? So you got Southern Cal number one, Oregon number two, Washington number three. They basically have the same odds. It's very close. Uh, Utah's number four, and they've got plus 550 odds. Oregon State's a little bit down the board at fifth, and then it's UCLA at plus 1,200 odds at sixth. That's where the cutoff happens. Then it's a long drop to Washington State, Colorado, etc. But it's important to note, in a conference that figures to be very topsy-turvy, UCLA is in the top group of favorites. That's what you need to remember. And lastly, on the old what-if board tonight, again, this isn't even opinion at this point, it's science. How about Trey saying, what if your science is correct and Ohio State wins the national title? This video has gone crazy for us for like two months on social now. I did a segment a couple of months back, and it was tongue-in-cheek, which should have been obvious. Of course it wasn't. And I said we had scientific research 
that had concluded Ohio State's going to win the national title. What was the science, you ask? Well, we did some research, and we found that the last several national championship teams ended up having the most first-round draft picks the following spring. Not a surprise. So how did we scientifically go go about proving who's going to win it this fall? We just looked at mock drafts, and Ohio State had the most mock-drafted first-round players. So bada-bing to the bada-boom. All right, well, that means Ohio State's going to win the title. Case closed. Voila, and there you have science. And I said it on air. Of course, some people believed I was serious, and it's still doing a ton of numbers out there even as we speak. But hey, what if I end up being right? Well, I'll wear a lab coat on air if I am. If they win the title, I'll probably wear a lab coat. You can just call me doctor from that point on. And also, boy, will Ryan Day have a fun January. I'll have a fun January for him if he doesn't want to. The Ryan Day Apology Acceptance Tour. That's what he can call his January. And we will just have a little basket, probably, a little wicker basket here on air. One of you can weave it for us if you want to over Christmas break. And we will just, we will just put it outside the office during the day. And as you're in Nashville, you can just drop by and you can slip your apology notes into the Ryan Day Apology Basket. Because that's what we would need. And in Jaws, they needed a bigger boat, we would need a bigger basket. If everyone who owed that man an apology, if he wins a national title, were to submit an apology, we need a bigger basket. And you guys would need bigger notes. I've listened to what some of you have said. If he wins a national title, it would be a fun time for me. I grew up in Columbus, not Ohio, but I have watched and I have shaken my head. I have SMH'd you guys so much when it comes to thinking that there's this hard line in the sand and he cannot and he will not ever win a title. Why? Because he hasn't so far. Well, big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, yes, that they haven't won, but they've been in the mix and they're going to be in the mix again this year. I hate to spoil the season for you. They're going to be in the mix, I think, again this year. Maybe they'll win it, maybe they won't. But if they do, as science has indicated, don't argue it, then I will have a fun January and I will do it for Ryan Day. That's what, that's, that's the end of the what if on that. Okay. Uh, we got several more angles that we need to attack this show from. Second sip from the chalice at 40 minutes into the program. If you can, and trust me, you're able to, just click that little thumbs up button for me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to wait for you to do it. But, but please do it and subscribe to the channel. We are trending better. We are trending better this week on our quest to get 200,000 subs on the channel by kickoff. But I still think we're behind schedule. So we got we to gotta pick up the pace. I trust you will. Look, I mean, if you gotta if you gotta sabotage your friends and steal their phone to do it, do it. I don't care how we get there. I just care that we get there. It's all it's all legal, ish. It's close enough to legal. Now, you think me hopping freight trains is strictly legal? I don't clear that with anyone. I just do it. And so, likewise, steal your mom's phone. Subscribe to the channel. She'll be all the better for it. Recruiting's been on fire. July Fourth used to be about hot dogs and fireworks and whatnot, and it still is. But man, add major five star commitments into the mix. Uh, that is July now. Told you guys a couple of years ago, hey, June and July are about to change. They're about to become the December and January in recruiting. And they are. And here we are. I mean, Cameron Coleman, as most of you were celebrating your extended holiday weekend, Cameron Coleman, five-star wide receiver committed to Auburn. No, he didn't. 
You thought he was going to commit to Auburn. Maybe you thought he was going to commit to Clemson. Jimbo pulled it off. Texas A&M, there's a faint pulse still detectable out there in College Station. 6'3", 180 pounds, number five wide receiver in the country, number 17 overall. As I said, both the Tigers were in this thing. Clemson and Auburn, are like 15 of them. Clemson and Auburn were in it. Nope. He says, I'm going to College Station. I'm going to play for A&M. Cooper Patagna, and we all know him to be the most reliable source on information this side of Singapore. His pro comp is George Pickens. Big-bodied receiver, George Pickens. Well, Cameron Coleman, I told you, 6'3", 180. It's a big pickup for them, and they're not done. In fact, that gives them eight commits at A&M since June 22nd. That puts them in the top 10 of the overall 24-7 sports team rankings. That is no doubt going to make some uninformed people say that commitments don't matter in July. I'll just go ahead and prepare for it. Uh, Let me go ahead and give you my response ahead of time. Yes, they do matter. And if you want to bet me on these players decommitting, I'm happy to take bets. You know the drill there. See me in the comments. It's the most manly thing you could ever say in 2023. I'll see you in the comments. The comments are the new parking lot. You don't meet in the parking lot anymore. You meet in the comments. Uh, What about Justin Scott? We were talking about Ryan Day a second ago. Let's talk about Larry Scott. He got himself yet another five-star defensive lineman to play with there. Justin Scott to Ohio State. 6'4", 310, number four defensive lineman in the country, number 21 overall player in the country. They beat out Georgia for him. They beat out Miami. They beat out Bama. They beat out Notre Dame. You have to do the same thing with defensive linemen that they do with quarterbacks and receivers. And that is you just, you stack them. That's the sound of stacking if you're listening on the podcast. You stack them on top. You stack them to the point where they can't even all stay. They leave. Like Jamison Williams at wide receiver leaves. He's an All-American in Alabama. Ohio State's still fine without him. You want to be that way on the defensive line. That's where you end up winning games. Imagine if they had elite defensive line play, elite defensive front pay the last couple of years. They look really good this coming year, but imagine if they had had true elite play and and not just front line, but when they rotated a second, third wave in there, they look like Alabama has in the past, like Georgia does right now. Well, these are the kind of guys that you have to acquire and then keep and develop to be able to do that. Also, we're keeping an eye on Dylan Stewart. That's a five-star edge. The crystal balls are coming in fast and furious for him, 6'5", 235. Uh, that is going to allow Ohio State, by the way, if they land him, if they don't land him, they still got a really good class, but if they do land him, you at least start having the conversation about whether that number one, a class, uh, that number one class is attainable. Is it reachable? Because George has got a pretty tight death grip on it right now, but long way to go. Um, Georgia will still be the betting favorite, obviously, but Ohio State's putting together a really good class. Average player rating, 93.47 right now. That's probably going to go up, believe it or not. Elijah Rushing. This just happened today. Like if you were at work today, if you were living the life of a normal human being, you probably are unaware that five-star edge Elijah Rushing, of all names, committed. Where do you think he committed? If you don't know anything about recruiting, I could give you 20 guesses and you would whiff. Yes, the number one edge player in the country. I'd give you 20 guesses. You wouldn't get it. The man committed to Arizona because he's from Tucson. He's got a brother there. And Jed Fish pulled off a grand slam of a recruiting win here. 
And then he tweeted out Sylvester the Cat gifts. And so it was just a win all the way around on multiple fronts for Arizona football today. It's their highest ranked commit ever. Arizona's an old state. It's an old football program. They've been doing this a long time out there. They've had some decent teams. But nobody ever landed the number one edge player in the country. As I said, from Tucson, got a brother there. 2022 season stats, 73 tackles. Had 11 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, 13 and a half tackles for loss. Really good player. And he's obviously going to be the focal point of that defense for years to come. And lastly, I wanted to touch on Ryan Wingo for just a second. That's a five-star receiver out of St. Louis. We need to keep very close eyes on him. We got crystal ball activity, the kind where you flip from one team to another. This is why you got to pay attention deep into the recruiting cycle. So if you're a Georgia fan, you start to look at all these players that you think you're going to land. You start to put together the hypothetical recruiting class and you look at what it would grade out at. It's so hard to land all of them. So Ryan Wingo had been favored to Georgia. Well, now the crystal ball fortunes are starting to turn, including Uncle Wilfong, who is now crystal ball to Ryan Wingo, five-star receiver from St. Louis, to Texas. Sark's got to do this. They've got to win recruiting battles against SEC programs. And it looks like, this is certainly not a slam dunk, but it looks like it's trending the right way here. Uh, Wilt Fong was just on the 24-7 Sports Recruiting Show earlier today over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And I heard him talking about the experience in Austin. And I mentioned that phrase because I keep hearing it. Every time kids go to Texas, I keep on hearing them talking about the experience out there. And that matters because that means you're a major league recruiter and not just as a person. I'm talking about as your staff, collectively, you understand how to structure a visit weekend. That has to do a lot with the head coach, but that head coach casts a vision that dozens of other people have to execute. I mean, recruiting staffers, you don't even know the names of. Graphics folks, you don't even know the names of. Assistant coaches, in some cases, you do know the names of professors you may or may not know the names of, uh, parents have to be instrumental, current commitments, current players on your roster have to be instrumental. It sounds so simple to recruit at a high level when it's all humming, but first you got to get it humming. Sark and Texas kind of have it humming right now, and don't think that this is just some freak occurrence when they start beating the Georgias or Bamas or Clemsons or Ohio States of the world for talent. They're recruiting as well or close to as well as those programs. They're not going anywhere. So Ryan Wingo, let's see if they follow through. Let's see if they land him. My guess is they will. We move right along. You know what time it, you know what time it is in the show? My favorite time. It's the time that's totally risk-free for me, and you have to assume all the risk, and it's called Bold Predictions. We're already look at look at how look at how far we've come on this. I'm not gonna do it. I know some of you want me to. I'm not. Bold predictions, chapter 15. I don't know what anniversary that is, but it's chapter 15. Now, this is where you take all the risk. You walk out on the plank and you tell me what you believe is gonna happen this year. And we got a doozy to start off. And you know how rarely I use that word. But when the Dorito bandit hits us up from Greenville, South Carolina, we have to heed his words. And his prediction is both Michigan and Alabama will miss the playoff this year. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Dorito Bandit. This is a nine on the boldness scale for me personally. I'm more a Lays guy. 
Uh, Michigan and Bama both have win totals of 10.5. These are the number two and number four teams in the playoff odds. These are the number three and number four teams in the S&P Plus preseason rankings. Bama's got a much harder schedule than Michigan. Michigan only plays two teams that have win totals of seven or more this season in the regular season. Bama's got the murkier quarterback situation. So uh, as is usually the case, if you're telling me two teams aren't going to make the playoff that are way up there, you could sell me on one. But when you go with the old parlay, number one, Satan is happy because parlays are a tool of the devil. And number two, it's a lot tougher for me to acknowledge it. And so I'm putting a nine on this because 2019 is the only time this has happened in the playoff era. Listen to that, by the way. We've been doing this thing almost a decade now, and there's only been one year where this prediction would have been valid. Ironically, that's the year they played each other in the, what was it, the Citrus Bowl? I was there. Nice and sunny in Orlando. You know what made me mad that day, Jesse? I never told you this. Is I was walking around with coffee because it was like a 1 p.m. kickoff. And they told me I couldn't have liquids on the field. This is, this is reason number one million why field turf is also the devil. No one ever told me not to drink coffee on grass. But no, we've got the turf at the Citrus Bowl has been there since the Reagan administration. And all of a sudden, I can't drink coffee on it. Mind you, three hours later, Gatorade got dumped on it. And all sorts of things are spilled on it during the game. Can't have my coffee out there, though. She, mm. Plus, they only gave me a commemorative pen. Shameful. Still a good experience, though. Good sunburn, too. So that's a nine. Next up, here's some boldness. How about run with turtles with the following prediction? Texas Tech will have a TCU-like run. They will win the Big 12 championship. Now, I know on the screen it says regular season Big 12 championship, but this is not basketball, so I'm just ignoring that. And I am making the prediction that Texas Tech wins the Big 12 championship. Well, this is an eight and a half on the boldness scale. Now, here's what you need to know. In fact, you know what? Post-it pop. Here's what you need to know. According to Stats and Info, which is just loosely translated to McGrady and Jesse got on the phone earlier today, and they found out that the last three Big 12 champs have all had multiple losses. That means do not lose hope, friends, when you lose a game or two in that conference because magical things can still happen. Over-under win total for Texas Tech, seven and a half. But to win the Big 12, they're plus 1,000. They're fourth in the preseason poll in the conference that got released today. Great energy around the program. Some of the best energy in college football can be found in Lubbock, Texas, with Texas Tech football right now. They had their best season last year since 2013. That was Joe McGuire's first year out there in Lubbock. Prairie Dogs, by the way, was the animal I was trying to think of the other day. Prairie Dogs out there are like squirrels in Harris County, Georgia. Travel more. You know what? If you don't get out, travel more. For instance, here in central Tennessee, middle Tennessee, when you get out of downtown Nashville, Grishy, if he's still in here, he'll, he'll attest to this. There are beavers all over the place here. Beavers everywhere. They just run out in front of you all the time. They'll stand next to you. I had one at the softball field the other night. Just standing there and a skunk too. Not as numerous, the skunks, but the beavers are everywhere. Well, out in Lubbock, they got prairie dogs and they're just used to it. Now, when your boy goes out there, I'm freaked out by him. I'm yelling, is that a prairie dog? They said, yeah, and so is that, and so is that, and so is that. And you look around and you're like, what is happening? Well, that's kind of what they feel like 
in the Big 12. They're looking out there and saying, wait a second, are they good? And Texas Tech is like, don't worry about us. Go about your business. Just bet Texas for the 14th year in a row. Oklahoma barely made a bowl game? Yeah, yeah, bet on them. Don't pay attention to us. Pay us no mind. They're going to be pretty good. They got a good quarterback coming in next cycle. But they got Tyler Shuck out there right now. And the reason I mention his name is not only is he the starting quarterback out there, when he was healthy last year, they were 8-0. So, trend continues. Maybe they will win the Big 12 this year. They do get five of the bottom six on their schedule in terms of odds to win the Big 12. They don't play Oklahoma. They get TCU and Kansas State at home. Jesse, I know I told you I was going to make this an eight and a half. I'm bumping it down to an eight and a quarter. This is only an 8.25 on the boldness scale. I'm starting to feel Texas Tech a little bit. Not the preseason favorite, nor should they be. Let's just, you hear that? I don't know how loud that is on the mic, Colin. That's a, like a faint drum beat out there. Let's see how loud it gets during October and November. Uh, let's draw it right back to Nashville for the next prediction. Barton Simmons, I hope you're paying attention. Probably your burner account. Andrew Carroll, allegedly, says Vanderbilt will easily blow past that three and a half over under win total. My bold prediction is Vandy goes bowling this season. He even capitalized the B in bowling. Andrew from Thomaston, Georgia, sports editor for the Upson Beacon. Well, God bless the Upson Beacon. Andrew, I hope you're right about this. I made it an 8.75. Winning six games is tough. However, there's something else you should know. Vandy over three and a half was one of our favorite best bets long before the juice got drawn up to minus 160. So we do believe in Vandy winning more than the odds makers think. But to get to six, it's not a nine on the boldness scale. I got eight and three quarters. They last made a bowl in 2018, so it's been a little while. They were the least penalized team in the SEC last year and the year before. So they're disciplined, if nothing else. They are one of 15 Power 5 programs returning a quarterback, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and a head coach. They draw Hawaii, Alabama A&M, and UNLV in out-of-conference play. We think those are three wins. They also go to Wake Forest in week three. That's where all of this will hinge. Because if they can go 4-0 and in out-of-conference play, they'll be the talk of college football because they'll, they'll enter week five, four and oh, because all those games are back to back to back to back. And then they get Kentucky and Missouri at home. Now I want you to picture this. It's hard to see right now, but I want you to picture old Vanderbilt stadium over here. The Commodores are four and oh, and they got Kentucky and Missouri rolling in for back to back home dates to start conference play. Can you say, I smell sellout. Not the bad kind either. Not the kind where the road fans come in and buy up 70% of the stadium. No, I'm talking about legit gold and black clad Vanderbilt Commodore fans. Don't care how new the shirts are, as long as you bought them. Could be a scene over there. Could be, Bradley, you could have a tough time getting home. Could be a little traffic situation over there. So I'm going to make that an 8.75. They were 5-7 and seven last year. Can they get that added win this year? You know what? Make it an 8.5. Manual override, 8.5. No 8.75 there. It could happen. Uh, lastly, now this is wild right here. So this doesn't sound like a bold prediction, but it's a very bold prediction. Who gave us this prediction about the Heisman? Uh, Ashton from Jasper, Alabama, living in Austin, Texas, 
said a quarterback who is never transferred will win the Heisman Trophy. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's not bold, Ashton. It's really bold. It's really bold <laughs> because of this list. Caleb Williams, he's a transfer. He's out. Quinn Ewers transferred. He's out. Jaden Daniels, out. Jordan Travis, most of you don't even remember, but yeah, he transferred to FSU. He's out. Penix, gone. Bo Nix, gone. You, you are left with a list that looks like J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, Cade Klubnick at Clemson, Drake May, Carson Beck at Georgia, Drew Aller at Penn State. These are the names, presumably. K.J. Jefferson, Tyson, we don't even know who's starting at Alabama. We don't even know who's starting at Ohio State. Probably going to be Kyle McCord. These are the names that I would have to draw from. Now, McCarthy is on the best team, but McCarthy's not going to put up Heisman stats at quarterback. There's just, I have a very hard time seeing Michigan's offense doing that. I think Michigan can go undefeated and J.J. McCarthy not be in the Heisman conversation. It's just not the style of football they play. That's actually a good thing. So I made this a 9.25. The chances are overwhelming that a former transfer will win the Heisman Trophy. If they don't, man, what does that mean about the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, we could have something relatively uncrazy like Drake May and North Carolina go 10-2 and two, and he wins it. Okay, Favorites can still win. No other conference is impacted. Blah, blah, blah. But if, if we do get like Carson Beck at Georgia, we get, think about Drew Aller winning the Heisman Trophy, man. Think about that. We got a Penn State quarterback winning the Heisman. What has Penn State done in that world? So as you can see, it's a lot bolder than it sounded on the surface. All right, they're watching us in Greer, South Carolina, Williamstown, New Jersey, and Bonita Springs, Florida. Look at all these post-its everywhere. We appreciate you guys so, so much. And uh, if while you're at it, you don't mind, go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, and subscribe to the podcast. Do it all. I made a mean face there. I didn't really mean to. I just didn't know what other face to make. We're spotlighting teams right now and asking every question and pointing out everything you need to know about them. So if you haven't already bought your preview magazine, this is basically what you would see on their page. And we're doing Alabama tonight. What is the biggest question with Alabama? Well, that's not too difficult to figure out, is it? That's the quarterback situation. I guess it's not difficult to figure out that it's a question. Now, I want the most hardcore Alabama fan out there, and I got many of you who watch the show. I want you to tell me with confidence, who's your starter? I don't know. And I follow the program very closely. I don't know who it's going to be. In fact, maybe we'll get Saban over here in a couple of weeks when they come to Nashville, because if there's one thing he loves to do, it's take more time out of his schedule to do media. And I'd love to, Colin, we could probably find another chair. If he agrees to come over here, we'll find him a chair and we'll put him over there and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put the lie detector on his index finger and we'll say, do you have confidence who your starting quarterback is going to be? I don't think his answer would be yes. Would he have taken a transfer after spring if it was? I don't think so. I, based on what I've heard from the program, not from Saban, but from people in the program, I think they thought Ty Simpson was going to win this job in the spring and turnovers were too big an issue. And at that point, you can't force it. A guy's got to take the job. You can't force it on him. And so in light of that, they took Butner from Notre Dame. But I told you at the time, and I'm still going to tell you, I think people misread that situation. They read Alabama taking Tyler Buckner as they're taking him to be their starting quarterback. I never took it that way. 
Oh, by the way, neither did anyone else on that roster. That's why neither of the other two transferred. They're all still there. So that's question number one. And frankly, that's one of the biggest questions in all of college football entering fall camp because that's a bona fide national championship contender if you get above average quarterback play. If you don't, whew, that's a whole other conversation with Alabama. Question number two, what do we make of these coordinator hires? Could have had a long list on your wish list if you're an Alabama fan of who you would want to replace Pete Golding as defensive coordinator. None of you wanted Kevin Steele. Now notice I've been pretty consistent on this. I've told you I think there are like 30 coordinators each side of the ball. Nick Saban's totally confident he could win with if the mentality of his team is right. So I think coordinators are going to be talked about a lot. Steele and Tommy Reese, they're going to be talked about a lot. It's the mentality of the team. It is the neck up portion of the Alabama football team that will ultimately determine how far they go. A whole lot more than what an X and O looks like on a grease board in the locker room pregame. And so with Kevin Steele, I don't doubt if that team's wired correctly mentally and they have halfway decent injury luck, Kevin Steele can coordinate a defense with that kind of talent just fine. Tommy Reese can probably coordinate an offense with that kind of talent just fine. If they're not wired the right way, doesn't really matter. He's had world-class coordinators there, and they've lost before. He's had coordinators you didn't think the world of, and they've won before. So it's a big question just for, I think, maybe different reasons than the tone people will ask those questions with. That sounds pretty convoluted, but that's where my mind is on that. Question number three, how dynamic is Alabama's wide receiver room? We're coming off years, a couple of years ago, where you had multiple first-round NFL draft picks in there, and there was just a conveyor belt of the same kind of receiver, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, and then you had Waddle, you had Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. You had all those guys come through there, and it looked like in recruiting rankings terms that had continued, but the production fell off. And I would argue the same thing about that room. From a mentality standpoint, is the Alabama receiver room wired the same way that those rooms were? I don't think consistently they have been. That's a team thing. That's not just a receiver room thing. Also, it's very hard to have apples-to-apples apples talent that those rooms had. But you don't have to be that. Those were generational wide receiver rooms. Do you know what it was like, by the way, to stand on the field in 2019 and watch Jefferson and Jamar Chase over there for LSU and you're watching Waddle and you're watching Ruggs and you're watching Devontae Smith with Alabama all those guys are on the field at the same time and you could be like the seventh best receiver on the field some of them that weren't even on the field some of them that were on the bench ended up being taken in the first round insane you don't have to have that kind of depth but you do have to have pretty elite depth and your Jermaine Burtons and your Ja'Cory Brookses and and this year, your Kobe Prentices, Isaiah Bond, those guys have to step up, man. And they got to have a guy that can get the ball to him, too. That, that doesn't hurt. What's the best position group on this team? We had a little internal debate, so I'm going to give you two of them. I love their offensive line. I don't know what the preview magazines say about Alabama's offensive line because I haven't picked up all of them yet, but or haven't picked all of them up yet. So I don't know what those preview mags say quite yet about Alabama's offensive line. I think it's got the potential to be one of the best units in the country. J.C. Latham and I think Caden Proctor, the true freshman, I think will end up being their starting tackles. But their interior offensive line has some quality depth and options. Like Dalcor, uh, McLaughlin, those guys have both played center. But Tyler Booker, Elijah Pritchett, 
uh, Terrence Ferguson. Like some of these guys are listed with the twos and would be really, really good starting guards for high-level programs. So they're not all established. Not all those names are established. They've got the potential to have a really, really good and really versatile offensive line. That's an offensive line that I don't think specializes in one area and has a, like an Achilles heel in the other. I think they got really good pieces there, potentially. But the other room, the other position group, is edge rush. Even after losing Will Anderson, I want you to listen to this list of names. Tell me what they all have in common. Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner, Jeremiah Alexander, Jihad Campbell, Keon Keeley, Yonze Pierre. Those are all edge rushers at Alabama, yes. They were all also former five-star players. You heard me right. Alabama has half a dozen former five-star players just at the edge rusher position after losing Will Anderson. So again, if things go sideways this year, it will not be for the lack of talent. In fact, team-wide, if they don't win this year, if they're not right there in the playoff, it won't be because they lack talent. I know some people are leading you to believe things to the contrary. Here's all I can tell you. I've said this stat many times. I'll say it many more times. You take the six highest rated recruiting classes in 24-7 sports history. Three of them are currently on Alabama's roster. There's no excuse for them to be anywhere other than right back in the playoff conversation this year. Who's the breakout player on this team? I'll give you one each side of the ball. Caleb Downs, I think, could this year be one of their best football players. Not just in the secondary. I think he could be one of their best football players. He's probably as close to a Minka Fitzpatrick coming in there as they've had since Minka Fitzpatrick because it's very rare to have players like that. Uh, even, even Pat Sertan, when he came in there, had a little bit of a learning curve his true freshman year. Go watch him against Oklahoma in that playoff game, for example. Mika Fitzpatrick really didn't have a learning curve. Fitzpatrick was just a stud as a freshman. I think Caleb Downs back there at that safety position will be the same kind of stud as a freshman. Saban spoke about him in the spring in, in pretty rarefied terms, the way he doesn't speak about many true freshmen. And then on the offensive side, I mentioned him a second ago, Kobe Prentice, wide receiver, loads of potential, tons of potential, like many names in that receiver room. But he had 31 catches, 337 yards last year. He, he has breakout potential to me this year. You use him the right way, which I'm not necessarily sure they did last year. You use him the right way. I think he's got high-level potential. Their schedule is, uh, is one that people always tell you is soft, and it never is. It's not this year. They play four of the top 15 teams in the country in terms of playoff odds. They do. Here's the key. They get Texas at home. They get LSU at home, and they get Tennessee at home. Those are your biggest keys this year for Alabama. Obviously, their two losses last year were to the latter two. They had a one-point win against the first one I mentioned. They get all three of them at home. I cannot believe that their schedule lines up where they go to College Station as the second leg of a back-to-back -back road stretch. But the schedule makers rarely do the Aggies any favors either, so... Some claim the schedule is made in Tuscaloosa to begin with. I've never confirmed that, but some of you have claimed that. It is such a pivotal year for them. Alabama operates to a different standard. You all know that. You all hold them to a different standard. They can't just go 10 and 2. That's a pretty good year everywhere else. They can't go 10 and 2. They go 10 and 2. The under hits again, and it's, it's crisis mode 
at Alabama again, and they just got to they just got to burn it down. Except for Nick Saban, he can stay. Rest of it got to burn it down and start over. Ten and two, that's what that would do there. So got to be better than ten and two, I guess. Going to be a fun program to watch. This has been a fun program to do. We went all over the place in college football tonight. I know some of you have noticed there is a new social platform out there. I'm on it. Same name as I always have. So it's fascinating. I, I did a little talk today, and we didn't plan on talking about this, but I was doing a radio hit, and someone asked me, hey, Josh, what do you think? What, what, what do you think about the whole threads versus Twitter debate? And I answer that the same way I answer when someone asks me about another show out there. Um, it is not, I heard Gary Vee say this earlier today, he nailed it. It is not in the digital media space in 2023 a matter of or. It is a matter of and. There is such an antiquated way of thinking in modern media, in new and advanced and digital and alt media, as you would call it, that there's this head-to-head competitive concept. This is not a time slot situation. It's not like I'm on radio from four to seven and you're on radio from four to seven in the same market. That's an either or. We cannot both have the viewers or listeners. But if we've both got a YouTube channel or a podcast in an on-demand world, then it really doesn't matter. Competition doesn't work the same way. Well, in that world, you really think people are about to abandon a social media platform wholesale to go to another one? They're, of course they're not going to. They're going to be on more than what they were on yesterday. They're going to also be on a new one. But it's a good thing for you if you're a creator. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for you if you just like to have fun on it. Now, if it zaps all of your free time and you're addicted to it, it's a terrible thing. Use in moderation, I would say. But yeah, I'm on the new one at Lake Kick Josh. Director Collins probably on it too under an alias that you'll never find out. I'll probably never find out either. That's okay. Uh, We'll be back here Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Just happy as can be to talk about college football and nothing else. Until then, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.